Hey, uh, what's up, Jordan? Hey, what's up, man? Uh, well, I don't know. Yeah, I'm feeling a little bit peeved, frankly. Um, I mean, you know that I, I try to keep a level head around all these this different political turmoil and everything that's going on, everything that's happened over the last couple of years with, with Donald Trump. You know I've tried to keep a pretty even keel about this stuff, right? Yeah, I think so. Well, I feel like I'm kind of starting to lose it a little bit. I mean, last week it was TikTok, uh, Trump banning TikTok. So I'm, I was already, you know, if I'm in a race car, that was I'm already in the red at that point. Oh, boy. And now this week... The, the really upsetting thing that happened this week was information came out. Uh, Senator Chris Murphy uh, had a great thread about this. And it Chris just Murphy. it rehashed a bunch of other bad feelings from this year and brought them right to the surface again. Uh, about Trump's uh, really just half-assed oh. and uh, incompetent coup in Venezuela. I mean, that could, that could have been a great coup. And... He just botched it. He bought every every move along the way was fumbled, mm-hmm. possibly due to his small hands. And yeah. sorry, what's that, buddy? Oh, or we did go ahead with bring your kid to work day. Yeah, well, you know, I just I I didn't think it was a problem. I know I thought about maybe because of the global pandemic, it might not be you know safe, quote unquote. But I, I just didn't really. Do you think it's a, you know maybe a little rushed to bring your kid back? To you know, I think we got to get back to normal at some point. We have to have some semblance of normalcy. So, he, I mean, it, I think it looks like he's ripped his mask in half. Yeah, that's. Don't worry about that. I'm gonna have one of the interns uh, take okay. care of that. So don't worry about it. Uh, but back to okay. what I was saying. Uh, it's just it's been really frustrating how how Trump really uh, botched this coup, and that's the kind of thing I try to be nonpartisan in my kind of political commentary and the work that we do here. I try to you know give an even even Why hand. <laughs> I try to give an even hand to... Oh, is he going to lead the meeting? Yeah, that's it. don't worry about it. Uh, I do try to give an even hand to uh, to both sides, but uh, but Trump really messed up this coup, and that's something that I feel like Team Biden, they're just going to knock out of the park. So that, I'm, I'm fired up about it this week, and, and now I'm really kind of one more reason to look forward to November mm-hmm. to get a competent administration in there that's going to do way better and better managed coups in Latin American countries and elsewhere in the world. Yeah, I, uh, you know was having a nice weekend until you brought that up honestly and now i'm just reliving uh that that thread which chris murphy laid out like i was just so frustrated because you know as he pointed out we had a charismatic uh, opposition leader in juan guaido and he was he stood ready to capitalize and restore democracy to the nation and yeah that's that's what i want in a progressive or a quote or, or, or a liberal legislator someone who's going to you know stand united with Elliot Abrams and cheerlead, yeah. uh, uh, you know, regime change in Latin America. Um, what better way to restore faith in the country than bipartisan regime change? Exactly. And I mean, we're, we're seeing the results of the botched coup just this week as, as members of that, that team from a few months back that I guess tried to uh, overthrow the government. And Ken had some involvement in mm-hmm. that which we're not, we've signed a not, an NDA about this. So we're not really able to comment on the extent to which he was involved, but a few of his, uh, his alleged colleagues have been, have been sentenced there in Venezuela. So that's just another, another reason that Trump really screwed this one up, screwed the pooch, as you may want to say, some people say oh that, boy. I don't know if that's a little too salty, but, uh, it's just another ah, example of the ways, the way that he completely bungled this. 
And, uh, you know, we are grateful that we were able to negotiate with, you know, the charismatic leader, uh, Juan Guaido, to get Ken's release from that, from that situation. But, you know, there, there were people left behind. It's devastating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that the Biden campaign, I think they're 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 smart to it, to tap these types of legislators to do their bidding and to forward their messaging and saying like, "Hey, look, man, regime change now, regime change forever." That's the American way. Yeah, and I actually had I mean, so I was angry this week, but it did lead to a little a spark of inspiration. So I've got a little something that I wanted to maybe work on that we could maybe pitch to the Biden campaign. And this is like, okay, look, this is the new way of doing things. This is the new foreign policy moving into the 2020s. Uh, the Democratic Party back in charge of America. Smart coups, okay? Ooh. <laughs> We're going to disrupt, uh, you know, the government of Venezuela and various other uh, resource-rich Latin American countries. Um, and in fact, one thing that I thought we could do, this is a crazy wild idea. Why don't we just completely cut out the middleman? Uh, we know Elon Musk is like is already benefited from the, uh, the the coup in Bolivia, which did manage to work out. And no thanks to Trump. You know, it happened in spite of him uh, rather than because of him. Mm-hmm. But Elon Musk is already benefiting from that deal because of the lithium deposits in Bolivia. So, you know, why don't we just get Elon Musk to just run the whole governments down there? You know, Venezuela, Bolivia. Oh, my God. Can we everything? He can just call the shots. Can we do that? Public private partnership. That's the way of the future. Oh, my God. Okay, hello. Hello and welcome to The Insurgents. It's episode 34. Rob Rousseau here with Jordan Yule. Jordan, what's the haps? What's going on over there? What's that? What does That's, that mean? <laughs> that a a new, I just improved a, a brand new kind of like saying we could kind of toss around, but did, it coming out of my mouth, I was like, oh, that's not, that's not great. As you said it, you're like, oh, let's walk that one back. Yeah. Not so good. Not really my, uh, I'll, I'm going to take, I'm going to fix that in post life. actually, but what is going on? What's up? Um, I, I, <laughs> I'm trying to think of something that isn't about gaming. You know what, Rob? I've been getting a lot of different <laughs> coffee beans lately. <laughs> yeah. I I've been doing knew- a lot of reading, you know, like kind of philosophy yeah. and, you know, all the really kind of deep stuff. Yeah. You know what? I, okay. Outside, <laughs> on books, I've, I'm listening to Matt Taibbi's Hate Incorporated. And I know people don't like oh. him. I don't care. Uh, I think he sometimes has a, uh, takes that I don't agree with, but that's fine. I think his, his media criticism in this book is really yeah. fascinating and I'm enjoying it. So that's what's up. Yeah, I've I haven't read it. Um, I I will always have a soft spot for for that type as well because of the work he's done in the past, and he he still does yeah. quality work uh, as well. I think personally, the kind of like cancel culture uh, crusade that that he and and Glenn Greenwald and a few others kind of insist on continuing to make a topic of discourse. Uh, I'm just I don't find myself too interested in any of that stuff, and I find it comes off as a little uh, a little weird sometimes, but. Uh, I like I like Matt Taib as well, and I've Glenn- I've never read the book, but I'd be interested in reading it. Glenn Greenwald is like my problematic fave <laughs> because it's same thing yeah, for his work. Insane. It's just I his yeah. Well, I mean, obviously his Snowden work, but like the book about it was one of the most fascinating things I've ever read. It was really well done. Uh, no place to hide. Really, really enjoyed it, and I just <laughs> even though he's really argumentative, I like oh, I have a really big soft spot for him. I just think he's he's funny. Um, when he gets really heated at people, I think it's hilarious. I don't know, Pro- problematic yeah. fave, uh, Glenn Greenwald. Well, 
it's the same thing for me. It's like some I don't agree with every single subject that he decides to make into a big uh, a big controversy, uh, but I agree. I I enjoy I generally enjoy his antics, and for me, yeah. like Glenn Greenwald is a guy that I really count as as helping me to kind of develop the views that I have. I think in like the early yeah. days of the Obama administration, when I think there was a feeling of like I'm do am I crazy or is he doing all these things that I like. And I wasn't expecting and is not so good. And he has yeah. this foreign policy where people are still getting killed and all these things that I thought were going to stop now are just continuing. And the way that he's handled this, this big financial crisis. And, but yet at the same time, all the kind of liberals that had become, uh, that had built huge platforms during the George W. Bush, uh, administration talking about like foreign policy and, and, uh, you know, kind of styling themselves as these like anti-war uh, resistance fighters, uh, at the end, all of a sudden they were just going along with all this stuff. And I felt like a little bit crazy. Like, am I imagining this? And Glenn Greenwald was a guy that I, his writing and uh, I, I turned to, to kind of help explain, um, you know, what was going on that time and, and, and during that period and, uh, kind of reminding me that like, oh no, this is, I'm not crazy to, to feel like, uh, this is not going the way I was kind of hoping and, and imagining it was. And, uh, yeah. you know, that's, uh, I, I, I gotta give him, I gotta always gotta give him credit for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think Taibi has done, yeah, like you said, has done great work in the past, especially with media criticism um, and, you know, calling out democratic elites. And that's I just, I don't know, the cancel culture stuff. Yeah, not really super interesting. I think they could, you know, it's interesting. They could, they're, they're more talented than that, I think, um, than, than focusing on that kind of stuff as often as they do. But yeah, I like the book. That's that was my point. Um, something that isn't, <laughs> okay. isn't uh, about gaming. Yeah. Well, that's good. We didn't sound like we'd plan to do the first couple of minutes on this talking about <laughs> Glenn Greenwald and no. cancel culture, but okay, whatever. That was cool. Um, you wanted to talk about some of the the big uh, progressive wins in the in races throughout the throughout the U.S. through the last week, though, right? Let's 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 yeah. talk about some of that stuff. I did. Yeah, Rashida Tlaib won her primary against Brenda Jones in Michigan. Uh, re-elected to that's funny because i was told she was very vulnerable and was kind of just on the fighting for her political life and was kind of on the verge of being voted out you're telling me that's not that's not crazy crazy isn't that wild yeah oh boy do they i'm sure they wanted it and uh, there was you know similar to ilhan the same interests were backing her opponent and additionally dan gilbert uh his company quicken which you know and Dan gilbert himself just basically fucking runs detroit so ton of business interests uh, backing Brenda Jones, who's the council president there, and also won the first time. So if you remember when Conyers yeah. resigned because of that scandal, um, so they had to they had two elections in, on election day. It was to replace him in, in their primary. It was to replace him for the remainder of the term. And then for the next term, Brenda Jones won the first election to replace his term and came to Congress for like a month and a half, yeah. but then didn't win. She, at the same time, also lost the full term to Tlaib. So she just went for a month and a half, and then Tlaib took over. Now Brenda Jones ran again and then lost you know, pretty handedly. So two to one margin, roughly, to decide, like just clear-cut victory for Tlaib. But then also... In St. Louis, this was the big one. Um, Corey Bush, who was progressive, uh, who you, if you have seen, I think it was Knock Down the House, the documentary made about the 2018 prime or the 2018 uh, elections, featured her, AOC, Amy Falela, and Nevada's fourth. 
talked about, you know, she, Cori Bush didn't win then, but she ran again and she is a Black Lives Matter organizer. She's a single mom. She's a nurse. I think she's also an ordained minister, but, you know, hugely active in the community, really good progressive politics. Um, fantastic candidate and uh, was running against Lacey Clay, who is a legacy member of Congress, corporate Democrat, basically just a just a blockade for progress. And she beat him. And that was awesome. Um, I think the one thing that I hope people understand here is there's going to be a lot of progressive groups trying to latch on to her win that didn't do shit for her. And that's one thing that I'm yeah. very frustrated about. And my friend Karthik uh, wrote about this in The Nation after the uh, the um, Charles Booker loss in uh, Kentucky. Basically, like progressive groups need to get involved in races like Cori Bush's early and often because the, the, that sh- she showed it's doable, but she barely beat him. You know, Justice Dems did a lot, but like it could have been way easier if we had more progressive institutional support behind her. So for other races like that, we have to get involved. We have to get active early and often. Yeah. And it's I mean, it's not just it's not just like uh, organized groups that need to get behind that, too. But it's interesting because I saw a lot of like sort of liberal leaning people that uh, you know have, have always been very insistent that we listen to black women in general and, and to, to support <laughs> candidates exactly like that, who are kind of strangely silent on this. Yep. Um, and and frankly, okay. So like, I don't want to make I don't want to make everything about Bernie Sanders. Obviously, like you know, Bush deserves all the credit for winning this this incredible race and pulling off this amazing upset. But I, you know, it is such an example of of this completely bullshit narrative about Bernie Sanders, about how he's this like anti woman candidate and he doesn't care about race uh, racial issues, and he's he's not supportive of things like this when he was like the only mainstream figure uh, to endorse her. And helped her raise a lot of money, and and I wouldn't say I, you know I wouldn't go so far as to say push her over the edge, but gave her that like that boost that allowed her to to compete there. Uh, so it would be I know it would be interesting if that that fucking false narrative, which has always been complete bullshit, um, would just die. This is a great example of how it's completely false. Um, but again, because because there's this Bernie connection, that certain uh, elements of the Democratic Party and their supporters and their, pe- their people in the media. Are just like unwilling to kind of make that connection because uh just because of who's involved which is you know pretty pretty gross yeah it's like politics is an aesthetic for a lot of people um it's it's just absolute absolute garbage um i i don't i don't know if it comes down to like people's policies uh are you know really really close uh you know not too much difference and it's a man versus a woman yeah i'll go with i'll, I'll i would vote for the woman but if it's like <laughs> if it's like a super progressive guy and a corporate Democrat woman, I'm going to go for the progressive guy yes. because I care. Like it's policy. They're 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 working on policy. Um, that's yes. that's the job. It's it's well, not- you're saying you wouldn't vote for Condoleezza Rice as president. Wow, that's really <laughs> upsetting to hear that, that you wouldn't support you wouldn't support a woman of color like that. But, you know, I'm sorry, that's I'm sorry. You, I guess that's your opinion. Yeah, that's, that's my you're problem to it. <laughs> yeah. But again, like I, I don't want to make it. I don't want to make it into a Bernie thing. It, you know, it shouldn't be. Uh, it was really incredible to see her pull that off, and it's. I think that's something that I find weird. The the fact that these like dynastic seats exist of like politicians that have held these seats like within their family, like passing it down like an heirloom for generations. Yep. That I find kind of strange. I guess I I guess I shouldn't considering who the prime minister of Canada is. Uh, but uh, I did. I did find that funny that uh, you know she that, that his family I think has been in charge of that district since like the middle the mid sixties or something like that's incredible. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, don't throw stones in glass houses, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, okay. So we don't have a ton of time to do this intro. Uh, yeah. I'm actually doing like, I'm solo parenting while we podcast right now, which is uh, not, never the easiest uh, thing to organize, uh, as you've heard probably a couple of times throughout this, uh, throughout this introduction. Um, so do you want to just introduce our guest? Let's, we, we shot the shit a little bit. Let's move on to our guest. We're not going to do yeah. any feedback corner this week, for, thankfully. Yeah, you're all uh, lucky. So introduce, let's introduce our guest and let's just get on with this thing. Yeah, Justin Hendricks, executive director of the NYC Media Lab, a friend of mine. We've organized a bunch of, uh, you know, campaigns and, and protests and everything you could think of um, together. Uh, understands the intersect of politics and technology and media. Uh, fantastic, just dazzling resume uh, on all of these different fronts. Uh, good follow on Twitter. You know, he and I don't necessarily agree on some of the Russia stuff. Um but I, that's why I like him so much because I, every time I talk to him, I just I find I learn something new. Super brilliant guy. So excited to get his take on everything that's happening from the post office to uh, votes, voters, uh, you know, disenfranchisement that we are that's looming around the corner uh, through mail in ballots and, and efforts to influence the election to propose TikTok bans and the effect that unregulated platforms have <laughs> on society and media consumption and our politics. Just this is stuff he thinks about full time uh, all day. So just super excited to talk to him. Well, I am as well. Um, I'm looking forward to that. That should be great. Uh, just remind everyone before we uh, before we bring on Justin to subscribe over at uh, theinsurgents.substack.com. Uh, you can also please check out uh, discontents.substack.com. Mm-hmm. That is our new kind of like Substack uh, collaborative effort that we're part of with uh, Derek Davidson and Luke O'Neill and, and Gabby Del Valle and a whole bunch of other really wonderful uh, writers and podcasters. Uh, please subscribe to both of those things. Um, that's all. Let's just, everything else that you want. If you want to get in touch with us, it's in the it's in the show notes. You, I'm pretty sure you know how to reach us. You know, so you can you can figure something you out. You might just harass us already on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, it's like so. we don't. I would prefer you didn't contact me more. Actually, if it, if we're being completely harass honest. Rob. No, don't do that. Direct all your comments to Rob. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know how to reach us, so please do uh, continue continue uh, reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts, and we'll eventually go back to uh to look at some of those that have been coming in uh, and read those on the show um but that's all for now and justin Hendricks will be joining the show right after this joined by Justin Hendricks. Uh, Justin, you are a tech and media expert. Uh, so so what better way to kick off this conversation with something uh, with something that I I'm, I'm certain you are, you know, knee deep in uh, the gaming world. Uh, Justin, we kick these off with with gaming conversations. You are not a gamer though. Um, is that right? I'm not a big gamer, not not certainly by your definition of gaming. <laughs> Are you like an anti-gamer though? Is it because no. yeah. this might get is contentious? This, if we... is this hostile territory yeah. now? No, is this no, a hostile ab- <laughs> absolutely not. I mean, I you know professionally, I, I I stay very close to you know what's going on um, with gaming, and I I'm most interested in actually the game engines in Unity and Unreal, and yeah. uh, what they're what they're up to. Now we're talking. Yeah. So um, okay. what's some okay. 
So on that front, what is something that you've heard is coming down the pipe that you are most fascinated by? Well, I am fascinated by those game engines in particular because, to me, they represent the future of media production. If you look at what's going on uh, with with Unreal and certainly with uh, with Unity, um, you know, the the power to produce in real time in 3D um, is just extraordinary. And I I think really it's the next revolution, and you you've seen it. Somewhat uh, over the last few months, especially during the pandemic, as traditional media have been challenged in the production of, of new content because of the lockdowns, um, you know, a lot of folks are kind of looking at these game engines and looking at virtual production techniques um, that, you know, allow them to take advantage of, of a lot of the capabilities of those engines. And they're doing new stuff. And I, I, I think it's pretty exciting. So, you know, not, not just about games, of course, but about... All, all manner of content that you could produce inside these engines. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, that, that engine could be used to create content in other forms, right? I mean, it, kind of jumping ahead, I know Robin wanted to talk about this, but it might make sense to talk about it now. I mean, that seems like something that could be applied to like a deep fake. Is that right? Well, uh, so, I mean, I think that's one of the interesting things about the engines is, you know, I guess if we're using the term deep fake, um, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about a particular technique, you, you know, under the sort of general umbrella of synthetic media, um, a lot of these types of capabilities are, are being baked into these engines. The ability to, you know, um, automatically render, you know, 3D content in a variety of different, um, you know, camera positions, uh, you know, synthetic camera positions for that matter. The ability to uh, automatically generate characters, the ability to, you know, re-render uh, certain objects or scenes uh, very, very quickly. Um, you know, a lot of that is is going to make it possible to manipulate media in ways that we've never done before. Um, and, you know, that what what people kind of colloquially refer to as a deep fake, you know, that, that's going to be sort of key capabilities inside these engines. Well, it's something that I've been kind of thinking about, you know, talking about the the future and how technology is going to impact the future of like culture and politics, uh, because I think the way we've been talking about this over the last few years is kind of is still kind of a far away technology that's kind of difficult to master and is not really like reached its apex or doesn't really have much of a cultural impact. I did just download this app on my phone, uh, Refaced or something, and it, which just mm -hmm. like seamlessly takes your face and puts it on like Tom Cruise's body in Mission Impossible. And, you know, it's realizing that that technology is very close to becoming very, like, ubiquitous and really very easy to use and easy to create uh, different uh, sort of situations and, and characters and, and, you know, manipulate people in this way. And uh, I'm just, I'm curious to see in the age of, like, online disinformation how that is going to uh, affect that. And I, I feel like it's going to be, uh, my feeling is that it's going to be like an atom bomb onto this kind of world where you have a situation where there's so many people, you know, in the States, in Canada, all over the place who just, you know, kind of believe whatever they see on their Facebook news feed. And regardless of what kind of effort is made to uh, ensure that, that things are like clearly labeled or whatever, you know, people are going to see uh, images on their Facebook news feed of, you know, political figures saying and doing crazy stuff. And they're going to, that's going to be the truth for them. And it's going to allow people to kind of even further re like retreat into these, ideological bubbles where they kind of create all the rules of their little universe and they have all the characters. Uh, and then that's going to be an element of that. And all these things that they've been kind of um, theorizing on are going to be able to be like realized in, in video form. 
And I feel like that could possibly cause a bit of a problem. Possibly, you know? I don't Absolutely. Know. I mean, I don't know if I, I'm paranoid. No, no, I don't think you are. I mean, I, I, we've already seen, uh, you know, a, a evidence of it. But, you know, the reality is right now, uh, a cheap fake, um, as, as folks like to refer to them, right, is just as good as a deep fake um, for producing the result you're talking about. You know, a lot of these, uh, you know, slowed down, vaguely edited Nancy Pelosi videos made to look, make her look drunk or, you know, made to make Joe Biden look uh, uh, more stumbly, uh, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, th- this stuff's not hard to do. Um, Especially yeah. with Joe Biden looking stumbly. That's very, very easy to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I worry, I mean, more more that we've got this sort of fundamental trust issue. Um, and this this just sort of puts it all on steroids, right? You, you got this, this context where the media is easy so easy to manipulate you can produce as you say those those kind of proof points or points of evidence for just about any narrative you're trying to push um you can really throw flames uh really easily and any kid with a laptop and a graphics card can you know do a lot of tough stuff so i don't know we'll see what happens but i think in the long run that's the the big problem is trust in institutions you know if we, if we don't yeah. have that if we if we don't have a kind of voice of reason that we can all generally feel some consensus towards then we're in real trouble yeah i, I mean i do want to continue down that line of, that the, the trusted institutions because I, I think that is like just it's it's a huge component of so many issues uh on the political and media front that we're facing today but on the like the apps that rob was talking about and the different things that um we're seeing that you can you know hey you could make yourself look old with this app or you can you know give your you could fake a smile with this other one that face app one that's really popular and i think about a a a ted talk that bill joy gave uh god mid 2000s maybe and not that i'm a huge ted talk person but it's just i mean bill joy was like the what the co-founder of sun microsystems this is a guy who's been following tech especially like new developments in tech for for years and even then he was saying so much about advancements in technology, especially some of the more innovative and potentially unethical stuff, is about social acceptance and slow introductions into society. And I feel like these types of apps and how they're presented in a more goofy and silly, fun, innocuous context at first is a huge critical component. And people don't quite realize that we're just, you know, opening the door to wider, more nefarious uses. Well, yeah, you know, but I guess maybe let me let me take that a step further and and tell you why at the end of the day I'm 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 maybe a little more optimistic than you might be. You know, I look at look at just the last few months and uh Zoom for instance, the way we view Zoom and I think it's a good example of what you're talking about. You know, the, the idea that I would have got onto a business meeting in a t-shirt uh <laughs> and then had behind me of some kind of virtual background of of dancing teddy bears or whatever. Um, while I slack away with my coworkers, you know, 10 years ago, that was not anybody's idea of a professional video conference. I mean, do you remember the Cisco telepresence booths, you know, these kind of like ultra high end million dollar video conference systems that people were installing in big companies. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. all about like ultra HD and, you know, uh, everybody had their beautiful set and their wood grain furniture and their perfect, you know, uh, production in order to make themselves look as professional as possible. And we're like completely past that now. And, and we're, we're, you know, I'm, I'm filtering myself and putting emoji on my 
face and you know whatever <laughs> I I might want to do to just have a good time to get through the day. Yeah. Uh, but again, you know, it's just like you say, it's kind of like opening the door to manipulations and making me comfortable with manipulations. Um, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not so worried that that we'll we won't get through this. I, I'm more worried that in the short term, um, you know, it'll it'll continue to hasten this this problem of trust in institutions, and if we can't solve that one, well, then we're really toast. Yeah, yeah oh and I think God. it's just it, there's an element of um, this is this is kind of a fracture that's been, you know, it started really tracing it back to like the beginning of Fox News and kind of conservative media and creating this called alternate universe. And allowing people to kind of pick and choose between like what kind of reality they're living in uh, that's now accelerated a lot in the sort of Trump era and the modern era. Um, yeah, and I think that's just the kind of thing that makes me uh, a little bit nervous about uh, the, the, just the idea that people can really have already been you know picking their own fe- facts that they can choose when it comes to like climate science or whatever the issue of the day is. Everyone's got a competing narrative. Um, and I feel like that's only going to continue as the as the technological progression becomes worse. Absolutely. I've got family. Yeah, I've got family in, in a rural part of Virginia. And, you know, their fact base is often rather different, you know, from the one that I experience here in Brooklyn, New York. Um, you know, certainly their perspective on what's been going on in Brooklyn, New York over the last few months is very interesting, uh, you know, to talk to, to folks and to hear what what makes it through the filter um and you know they think i live in some kind of apocalyptic hellhole uh you know so it's it's kind of a it's interesting you know i don't know sometimes i i have to just start with you know i don't know what you've seen or what you've read but actually it's you know rather pleasant where i am (laughs) (laughs) and uh you know i love my neighbors and it's very peaceful and quiet and um Etc. You know, yes, we've had um, unrest and uh, do unrest, and most of that, the vast majority of it, has been positive and peaceful. And where would you rather be? But you know, I, I have to kind of like start from. Let me let me assess what your your fact base is before we even have the conversation. Well, yeah, I heard uh, based on that, I, I heard on Facebook that you guys just elected Antifa to replace the police department in Brooklyn. That's right. So, wow. That's absolutely. cool, actually. I, I agree with that. So. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to choose to believe that that is true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All hail uh, Antifa. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's going to get clipped. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I just. That's the official stance uh, of yeah. this podcast. Yeah. And that's, you can put that in our bio. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> Justin's as well. Yeah, um, that's correct. I mean, on that front, I mean, everyone kind of establishing their own different fact base and operating from that, going into what is going to be an absolutely chaotic election from mail-in ballots and the attacks in the postal service now uh, to suppress voter turnout to just the hellscape like media environment that we're in. Uh, probably just repeating already seeing the same patterns repeating in terms of how people cover trump and how people kind of fall into this just like i don't know i just i don't even know what to call it but just a terrible um just at like i i I, just the the way that especially corporate media operates from uh this this purely oppositional reporting on trump that just feeds into that right-wing bias um and just as you mentioned earlier, kind of the slurring with Biden and the sensationalism around that, 
I, 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 I am very fearful and very pessimistic about our future and the outcomes of the election. Um, I mean, how do you see some of these, like, this, like from a fact-based standpoint and, and people getting their, getting their uh, information from Facebook, getting their information from Twitter or TikTok, and all of the problems associated with uh, echo chambers and and skewed algorithms. So, I mean, what <laughs> what's your what's your what's your forecast? Well, you know, in a weird way, this year we have seen the social platforms under extraordinary pressure because of disinformation related to this pandemic take some steps they've never taken before. Uh, you know, they they've they've not only marked up content and and put provisos in front of it that says, you know, this is um, worrisome for whatever reason. They have taken down content, they've removed content, uh, and they've removed very prominent content even from the president um, when they have have said that it, you know, runs afoul of their uh, terms around disinformation or around hate speech. Um, So to some extent, the last year, you've seen the platforms take more and more aggressive action than they ever have. And they, they in fact, have done a lot of the things that, that many critics have suggested they should. Um, now, they haven't done it consistently. They haven't always explained themselves. They haven't done it, uh, you know, necessarily uh, always fairly. Um, there are still huge issues to be uh, dealt with. And we're now seeing the kind of politiz- politicization of even that argument, that that conversation, you know, especially with conservatives kind of crying foul every time they post some, you know, wackadoodle idea about hydroxychloroquine or whatever they might like to say about the pandemic or, you know, something hateful, you know, every time, every time something like that's removed or marked, they'll call it censorship when in fact it's not. Um, but, you know, that at least is one reason to be optimistic. But but the reality is every signal is flashing red. Every bad actor is doing everything they can to get involved in this election. And, you know, we now have our intelligence community telling us that there are multiple Including nation me. state. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> multiple nation states that are, you know, um, at it, uh, in, including the Russians. Uh, there was just a huge takedown um, last week of, of a bunch of Romanian trolls that were targeting uh, black Americans in particular, um, and trying to push, you know, Trump and other kind of conspiracy theories. Um, so, you know, it's all happening. It's all still going on. And I don't know, um, you know, Jordan, I know you, like me, were talking to your family, you know, in other parts of the country, and you were really concerned about Trump in 2016. I'm still really concerned, too. Um <laughs> I don't know that I can trust these polls that that wanted to suggest that, that that Joe Biden's so far ahead, and you know the information ecosystem could turn out to be absolutely the decisive factor. Yeah, I I think the polls you cannot. I've said this before on the show. You cannot get comfortable because it takes thirty seconds to respond to a poll saying what your preference is. In some cases, it's going to take several hours or all day to vote, and some people who participate in a poll might get turned away um, based on, you know, just traditional voter disenfranchisement or just not having their ballot counted or not sending it in time. So, yes, we cannot resort. We cannot rely on the polls. We cannot get comfortable. So, yeah, I'm I'm deeply fearful just because of voter suppression. And also, I I do... I, I do want to clarify or, or, or add to your point about uh, nation states 
uh, spreading dis- disinformation and, and trying to influence the election, I think that is something that's so rarely like that we so rarely ever mention the United States's role in doing that around the world. And everyone always has this knee jerk reaction. It's like, how could they do that to, to us? How could they influence? I'm not <laughs> yeah. saying you are, but like. So, like, you know, just kind of just some affable liberal on, on like, wine mom on Facebook. It's just like, oh, this is so dangerous. Well, this is what the United States has kind of done around the world through the CIA. There's just different, um, you know, information apparatus uh, objectives throughout the, like, throughout the world uh, on behalf of the United States and their interests that just, you know, through, <laughs> some, in some cases, championed, like, the, like, the, its role in shaping uh, Israel's elections or Russia's elections over the past few decades. Um, and some, you know, as we mentioned at the onset of the show, much more covert uh, in like Venezuela or Bolivia. But now it's happening here, and this is what it's kind of how we're looking at it. It is alarming because it's, it's an issue of autonomy. And sure, like we live in a, a contentious world and everyone's kind of vying for their own, uh, you know, objectives and interests so i do think people need to look at it through a a global lens as well because it's not just something that's happening to us we are not the ultimate victim it's happening here but we do it to everybody else as well yeah i think that's me that's possibly part of the reason that observing some of this conversation um play out over the last couple of years as like a non-american i've kind of chuckled at some of the pearl clutching about it just because uh you know you know america is a powerful nation and yeah other countries are trying to see what they can do to influence the united states elections just as america's been doing in russia and all these different countries for like decades so um you know it doesn't mean that it's, it's any of it's right but uh, I do find some of the some of that kind of pearl clutching uh, a little bit, a little bit disingenuous sometimes. But I, I think one thing I wanted to come back to too is that as we were saying, you know, I think even on this show talking about the election, I've I've maybe still been giving too much credit to the Democratic Party and to Biden just because of like some of the positive poll numbers they've had. Um, and uh, in that whole incident the other week where Trump kind of mentioned kind of postponing the election, was talking about that, we kind of downplayed that a little bit. And I still don't think that's something that Donald Trump is planning on doing or will do. Um, but they are definitely making an effort to steal the election, um, you know, with the defunding the, the Postal Service and all the various ways that voters are disenfranchised. So they are definitely going to they're trying a whole bunch of different methods to try and steal this election. It may work. It may not. I mean, to me, I think considering all the different crises that Trump is overseeing right now, it's remarkable that Biden is not ahead by 30 points. You know, that should be that should be terrifying in and of itself. Um, but one thing I am certain of is that Donald Trump will claim to be the legitimate uh, victor of the election, uh, regardless of what the actual result is. Uh, and as we've seen in America with, with certain followers of his over the last couple of years, I'm sure that many people are going to believe that. And regardless of what evidence or truth comes out about it, as the, as the days go by and as the, the numbers uh, become more clear, because especially a lot, there's going to be a lot of voting by mail uh, because of the pandemic, um, I, I do think that he will kind of try and make that claim. And, uh, you know, hopefully that doesn't turn into a legitimate kind of like incident where uh, he needs to be removed from power because I don't think that anyone wants to see anything like that happen. Um, but I think something something that I could foresee is uh, even if he is uh, if he does lose and is they manage to to prime out of the, the uh, Oval Office, I do think he's going to kind of he'll be carrying on this kind of like president in exile shtick. 
um, <laughs> elsewhere, and people are going to be really into that. And in fact, I saw I think I saw news about Don Jr. possibly investing in OANN, and I I, yeah. I would not be surprised oh. to see them factor into to Trump's potential post presidency career. I'm not that sure. I was kind of rambling. I apologize I, for that. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> the many different divergent paths yeah. that I just went down on that on that uh, rant there. I'm not sure what's more dangerous if he loses or if he wins. Uh, you know, from the standpoint of how the right wing responds and I do think you're a president in exile thing is true um you know as long as the guy is sort of healthy enough to have a media presence i think he will um and who knows what he'll try to accomplish with that um but i you know if he loses i i suspect you know there will be a lot of folks that that never accept it and you know it'll it'll just amp up the right-wing extremist violence we're already seeing in this country um but you know this thing with the postal service is is the real deal i mean here you got this new postmaster general has been put in by Trump. You know, he's a, a former CEO who gave a lot of money to Trump and a bunch of Republicans, and they put him in despite the fact that he had no experience in the Postal Service at all. The first, I, I think, postmaster general who hasn't come out of the Postal Service in decades. And, you know, you've got this guy now who's essentially routing the executive ranks and, um, you know, using the uh, a real financial crisis in the postal um, to potentially undermine the the system at exactly the moment where we need it the most to ensure that this election goes off with so much more, you know, uh, voting from home. So and I, it should be I, pointed out too. my understanding is this this financial crisis was completely artificially created in the first place yep. by yep. Republicans and by Absolutely. the George W. Bush administration. Yep, yep. yep. 100%. I mean, they, they, you know, required the Postal Service to kind of, you know, overpay its pensions, um, which is the, the root of all of this. So I don't know. I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, these guys are going to try. I mean, look, it's what the whole impeachment trial was about. The guy is going to try the election. I mean, that is 100% the case. Now, I believe that he cheated to win the last election. And, uh, you know, I've they're not alone in that. Uh, I, I noted that uh, apparently John Lewis's claims that Donald Trump was illegitimate and refusal to uh, attend his inauguration apparently stuck in Trump's craw. <laughs> you know, even even after Lewis died. Um, but that's the reality. I mean, the guy, in my view, was not legitimately elected, and I don't think he intends to be. Uh, you know, on the on the wrong side of this this election either no matter what he has to do. I think my one, my one positive thing is that I do, th- I don't think Trump really, it's, he doesn't seem to really like being president that much. Uh, you know, uh, so I, my one like possible non-disastrous outcome of this is that he's casting all this doubt about the election in order that he can kind of lose without claim, you know, while claiming that he won and then allow him to transition into like a media job where he pretends to be the president, but doesn't actually have to make any of the hard decisions or have like people getting mad at him on late night TV or whatever. Uh, you know, that I think is like the most positive outcome for, for Trump's, for uh, Donald Trump in the 2020 election and where he goes from there. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the, the horrifying, I was thinking about this this morning, um, just what Trump would do if he loses. And it's, I, I'm just envisioning just like every news cycle, if Biden wins, everything Biden does is going to be, especially on Fox and OANN, 
Uh, but probably because they're just fucking hapless idiots who love money, CNN as well. Oh, oh. former President Trump weighs in on Biden's XYZ. <laughs> yeah. Every fucking thing. At least, yeah, as Justin said, as long as he's healthy. He's just never going to go away. It's going to be like former... Imagine if Bush did that to Obama. I mean, I understand it would be newsworthy because he's the former president, but, like, you just don't do that. It's just kind of like an unspoken rule. Like, you know, you have unspoken rules in baseball. It's why Obama, you know, probably was something people, a lot of people didn't agree with because it was so... This guy is such a mess. But, like, he was pretty quiet for, like, the first year. And it was, like, newsworthy when Obama first yeah. acknowledged Trump. Um, after he won but trump is going like from day one if he loses he is going to open his mouth about everything and the media is going to fall for it because that kind of, of conflict yeah. is what makes them money that's why i mean that's one of the main reasons he's the president in the first place the fact that they couldn't help but covering him uh the whole through that that campaign no matter how much of a disgrace he was uh and they gave him so much free publicity they're gonna they're not gonna be able to turn away from that because they know oh, yeah. people can't help but pay attention to what he does you know, but the uh, the other reality is that I, I think I think that this is true, but I also think that you know to some extent, um, you know he'll he'll at least be sidelined. Um, you know, it'll be the occasional story when there's something particularly erratic or bizarre. Um, but the thing I'm most worried about is that he'll continue to, to command um, a, a daily and perpetual media presence with a bunch of very um, you know disconnected and dangerous people who, you know, are going to regard his leaving the White House as, as a, you know, illegitimate secession of power, probably no matter what happens, no matter how wide a margin, you know, Biden might, might get. And I, I just, I don't know, I see, that's why I come down, I can't, I can't decide in my own head, like, what's worse? Trump loses, and we see a bunch of right-wing nutjobs take up arms, Trump wins and we see a bunch of right-wing nutjobs take up arms. I just don't see any way out of it. I, I feel like yeah. Yeah. the next 10 years is just full of extremist right-wing violence and we're just going to have to suffer through it. Now, back to you know optimism, what happens at the end of that decade? Well, if we make it through, to me, I feel like that still that pushes people further and further to the center and center left and, and even beyond. And maybe we get a few of the things that we'd like to see happen in this world done because people are so just disgusted with what the right becomes. I mean, it's already headed in that direction. I mean, I mean, if you'll remember, there's a famous Trump tweet from after the 2012 election where after Obama was reelected, he's like, revolution, we need to we need to march <laughs> on Washington. And at that point, he didn't have millions and millions of people that were ready to do listen to whatever he said and do whatever he said. Uh, but now he does have that. And I'm like, you're pointing out, Jordan, I'm not so sure. I don't think he's become too presidential over the last four years. So I don't <laughs> think that's a norm that he's going to yeah. he's going to feel like following. So, yeah, I, I would I'm sure that we're going to be getting all kinds of shit like that and the scary thing is that now there's there's millions of people that are ready to fucking die for this guy for whatever reason i don't understand it but uh they're there and that's not gonna that's not a really that's not a formula that leads to a lot of good things for uh for the good old us of a in my opinion i mean i think the right is going to just they're gonna like tap into it like the the, the big moneyed interests are absolutely gonna tap into it and try to leverage it to you know bolster their presence it's if they lose it's gonna we're going to see just a new tea party but just 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 tapping into 
the the loyal Trump devotees, the people who think this is illegitimate, the people who believe conspiracies, who think this was, you know, a global cabal trying to uh, uh, get him out of office to suit their their interests, and and all of these other types of things kind of coalescing into one. And just as we saw with the Tea Party, it's going to be you know Coke interests like the Coke brother, well Coke brother singular now uh, interests, but Coke Industries. <laughs> Heritage, RIP to a real one. Uh, uh, TPUSA, all these types of things, just bankrolling these astroturfed movements uh, and, and galvanizing that that new mindset that you know Trump would be a, a, a fixture of, but also new things. I mean, they're just they just want him out of the way because there's other people who want to be in a position of power, but they're perfectly fine with his ability to to get people fired up, and they're going to leverage that, and that's horrifying because the guy's a loose cannon. Yeah, you know what else I think we're going to see? I have, a, I have a, a sneaking suspicion as well that we're going to see like endless hearings on the uh, the the Biden foreign interference, uh, whatever oh. whatever story <laughs> they come up with concoct whatever whatever story they concoct about that. It'll probably be China or whatever uh, because they're both kind of trying to outright the other one on China and be and be the the tough guy on China. Um, that'll probably be the big thing was like the endless hearings and, and media stuff about, uh, you know, who, who on Biden's team, what, what did they know and when did they know it and mm-hmm. concoct some story because like, well, you did it to us and now it's our turn. Um, yeah. and no matter how, you know, it'll, we'll all know that it's going to be in complete bad faith and complete bullshit, but it'll be kind of another Benghazi type situation. It where could just be Ukraine now. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. It could and be so Hunter Biden. There's yeah. going to be hearings for the next four years on Ukraine, and you know, oh, we've and, still got the Durham report to come, possibly before the election. Yeah. You know, all, yeah, I mean, all that stuff is 100% brewing. You know, and you know, Billy Barr, you know, may pull a pull a surprise. Um, you know, maybe even in September or early October, we'll see. Um, all that's still out there. That's still a big. Puzzle. Oh, I hadn't even. This is my own foolishness, but yeah, I absolutely can see like a late October something from Barr uh investigating oh, hunter biden the guy is the uranium guy is one or something totally calculating he is obviously a master of manipulation you look what he did with the Mueller report i mean has has a nation ever been snowed so successfully as the 27 28 days from the moment that Barr released his memo to the moment that the actual report came out I mean, the guy is, he is absolutely diabolical. I mean, you know, so <laughs> I, I 100% expect something like that from him um, sometime in the next eight weeks. And this is something that Ken, I think, I don't know if he talked about it on our show. I talked about it with recently with Ken. Um, just the, so, you know, Trump has tapped the DHS to do a lot of his bidding um, in ways that the military would refuse, but using that type of force. Now we're seeing that is we're seeing similar efforts being done out of the Justice Department, which, you know, it's obviously a, a political arm of the president. But, you know, in in the past hasn't been as overt, um, at least not this much. So we're seeing now like the foundation being laid for an extremely partisan Justice Department, which is going to be horrifying because that's just, you know, they could move a lot of mountains and and mire a candidate in just bogus legal debacles that would just tank them um that's just not a not a symptom of a functioning uh, democracy this is this is this is horrifying to think about well let's just hope you know perhaps that that the conditions are are such that these types of 
uses of legislative branches for these bogus uh, investigations is not a possibility. And maybe maybe we can get down to some real business. You know, the the economy is trash. People, <laughs> yeah. People, five million people have had COVID nineteen. A hundred and sixty thousand people are dead. Possibly three hundred thousand by December first, if if things carry on. There are some problems to solve. We have got to get on to solving some problems. Yeah. Well, if there's anyone I trust to solve a big complex and the problems, it's the United States government. So I'm sure that <laughs> I'm sure that they're going to get to that right away. But you know, isn't they're just that, biding their time now to, to that, really spring into action. But isn't that part of the issue? You know, isn't isn't it that you know? Look at this pandemic. We we have health care in this country, but we do not have a health system. We do not have a public health system. We don't have anything that looks like that. We can't even collect the numbers properly, you know? I mean, at some point, we've got to get back to an idea that government resourced and it needs to be empowered to do the things that we need to do to address complex issues. I mean, we're living in a complicated world. We, we can't keep going like this. Well, I think what, what makes me pessimistic about that is that you just had a Democratic primary where there was a guy running who was doing quite well, <laughs> who was campaigning on a lot of these issues that I think whose ideas would have been pretty, uh, you know, not only helpful to millions of people, but in- increasingly popular in the current climate. And the so the like what's supposed to be the left wing party, the liberal party uh, in the United States uh, used every trick at their disposal to ensure that this person was not the nominee uh, and that none of these ideas would ever be uh, would ever come to fruition so um that's when it comes to now to this like current moment where there there's a possibility there's a possibility for them to uh, to retake power well you know i'm not i'm not sure i'm convinced that they're going to uh, sort of enact the right uh, the right strategy and the right kind of bold vision that can actually confront any of this stuff because not, nothing over the last six months has really convinced me that they're interested in doing that. Well, I would, well, I'd be happy to be wrong about it, though. Well, we'd better because I'll, I'll draw it back to the you know beginning of the conversation with this issue of, of disinformation. Um, you know, on on one level, you know, disinformation we can be concerned about you know, trolls on Facebook, that kind of thing. But there, there's kind of like a, a broader disinformation that I, that I think is at the, the core of this issue with why no one trusts institutions, why, why we, we don't trust our government, why we don't trust each other. You know, we've got a, a frayed social fabric. We've got mass inequality. We've got, you know, these, these core issues. And that's where the trust problem comes from. And if we don't solve those things, then you know the kind of stew of disinformation that we're in um you know people will regard the the democrats and the republicans as disinformers you know i think that's already going on people people look at these parties and they say you know you, you you're complicit both both of you you know both sides and in ways they're in many ways they're right to think that too. Oh, which is what makes it more 100%. difficult to combat that feeling 100 percent. i mean i i happen to believe at the moment that there is you know the Democratic Party is more likely to be um, possible to sort of salvage and, and to, to you know work within those constraints to try to achieve some things. Um, but yeah, a lot of Americans have lost faith in the system, and and that is for good reason. So these this government, you know, if if Biden's elected, if the Democrats you know hold a majority in the House and potentially the Senate, this government had better produce. 
um, had better produce some results because we're in a crisis. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think the trust, so much of that trust, um, the trust issues as it, as it comes to media is just because we have these kind of artificial limits to political discussion in corporate media. And so much of that kind of influences the overall discourse and people, you know, don't traditionally fall into one of those two camps. I mean, you're told that you should, but more and more people are just having just a crazy array uh, of of ideas and beliefs that don't really, you know, fall into one, like neatly into one or two camp or one of the two camps. And the rise of independent publishers and how media spreads on social media or how like news information spreads on social media and the platform is just not really checking any of it or having any type of check or balance on these types of sites. Like anybody can create like something that it looks like a new site. It's, it makes it more lucrative. It makes it more appealing to these people. And the end result is just absolutely like batshit in many cases. Like I think there are good independent publishers and I think that like we should absolutely applaud those efforts and celebrate them and and strive for more independent non-corporate media but also at the same time there's a ton of nefarious actors who create things that look like media entities that are either like political in nature or just absolutely hyperbolic for money for click for ad revenue through clickbait all this sort of stuff it's just it's so dangerous like we don't really have uh, a stable media ecosystem because corporate media has just gone <laughs> just off the rails. Well, one thing I've noticed too is that not only are there, are there bad actors spreading that kind of disinformation, kind of uh, you know media institutions, but there's like individuals as well, you know, using platforms like Twitter to uh, to spread misinformation, and they'll often like get called out on it and take it down. But there's this effect where if you if you get first at something and you you plant a story, even if they do take it down. And and claim oh I, that was wrong and I took it down. You've, they've already done their job and and they've already spread this information that millions of people already believe. Like the example I'm thinking about is the the shooting at one of the Austin protests of uh, Garrett Foster. Um, and in the immediate aftermath of that, you had people online saying like oh he opened fire and and missed wildly and then the person was defending themselves and kind of creating this alternate reality of what happened. Um, and then when that was disproven and the police said that's not what happened and that uh, the eyewitnesses and everyone else uh, d debunked that, well, then that story got, that tweet got taken down and it's like, oh yeah, th that was a mistake. Uh, but again, millions of people took away from that, that that was the, the situation that unfolded. And regardless of what was retracted or what happened, they're just going to go on believing that. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know, those types of situations, especially after shootings, there's always this sort of like moment where the gap is open and, and manipulators just jump in and they, they create alternate storylines, they create responsibility, they create, you know, all, all manner of nonsense to take advantage of the moment. And, you know, that's something we need to, to figure out how to address. Uh, yeah, I don't know what we do because it's the same handful of people, especially recently with any type of you know, cataclysmic event or cat catastrophe. I was just thinking even like with the Beirut shit, I just see like Jack Posobiec, Mike Cernovich and Ian Miles Chong all rushing to like start to lay out a fr like a framework. And every time there's a shooting, it's a site like Gateway Pundit. Oh, this person's Antifa every single time. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. They, no one knows who the identity is. They're just like automatically going out. And like, sure, the like the right, the average person like you or me 
is going or the listener is going to yeah okay that's not we don't know yet and they'll like have some critical thinking but you know there's a ton of gullible people who are just going to see it and believe it and never see the fact check never see the follow-up because they see these sites all the time and like it, what's so alarming is that kevin roos guy documents every single day the top publishers um the top publishers are publishers in terms of post performance and reach on facebook and so many people get their news from facebook and day after day after day like seven out of the top 10 are like fringe right wing pages it's like daily wire some cases it's like breitbart or maybe once in a while you get like a, a gateway pundit but it's shit like that every single day and then like an occupied democrats or other 98 percent are being liberal that's not where people should get their news like from either of them like primarily like your primary source of information should not come from either of those two types of uh pages well you know i don't know man i feel like to some extent um the 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 social media problems are are so i don't know obvious at this point one of the things that we've got to try to figure out how to do is to think about what the alternatives are. You know, what is a different system that somehow allows me to talk to my family and friends and, you know, uh, keep up with my pals and all that, share my videos and all that junk, and yet somehow doesn't send me off down a rabbit hole of conspiracies that, you know, ultimately destroys democracy. There's got to be a way to do this. I, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like the next decade we're... We're going to see a lot of social science. Um, there's already so much, you know, underway. So much research on the the kind of health effects and the social effects and the effects on democracy of these these platforms. And I'm hoping that some of those insights will will give us what we need to build something different. Yeah. <laughs> And I do have to respond to something that's in the chat here because Jordan, Jordan is pointing out that uh, I'm complaining about, uh, you know, people spreading disinformation online when, you know, on maybe a couple of occasions, I may have, uh, you know, also spread some misinformation online, possibly, yeah. allegedly. Um, but I would say the, the, the main difference, though, is that, like, I think with a, you can take a look at my profile online and say, like, why is this guy admitting to digging tunnels under the United States border and <laughs> funneling MS-13 members into the United States? Did I think you if you that? take a cursory, well, oh, you know, I've, you I've, 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 I've Google Rob Rousseau MS-13. <laughs> I've talked to my legal team and, we you know, we don't want to talk about the details of that. But <laughs> I think if you take a cursory glance at my profile, I think you can figure out that, you know, I'm just kind of having a having a little. A jape. Um, so if you if you believe my misinformation, it's kind of on you. Um, well, that's what look, I would say that, that. and this this is the stuff that happens. I mean, you know, especially Google. That's the worst. I mean, Rudy Giuliani is so great at that. He'll always say, you know, Google it. You know, He'll, anything he says, he's like, well, you know, go Google it. Of course, you know, whatever it is, Hillary Clinton's got pneumonia. Google it. Uh, you know, whatever. I mean, you Google it, and yeah, you'll find somebody. Saying yeah. that that's true. Um, but, you know, I, I actually ran into this problem, the Google problem one time, too. There was another Justin Hendricks, who actually a gamer in Seattle. Who, Ooh, sounds uh, interesting. Good guy. Yeah. Turned out, <laughs> well, he turned out to be a, uh, you know, kind of underground right-wing troll. And he was, he was, Never sort of, mind. He was outed by uh, the Daily Beast. And um, I think it was, I, I can't remember exactly who wrote the article. It might have been Will Sommer. But uh, the journalist, you know, didn't distinguish between... Uh, me, because I'm not terribly notable, and this this person who had my name, and so you know, on the on for days I was receiving DMs like I can't believe you bastard, you know, you're a, <laughs> you're actually a right wing Nazi, you know, and you've been posing as a liberal this whole time, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, I don't know, I mean, 
we're all we're all in trouble for that stuff yeah i think yeah to, to rob's point sure like it is kind of on you to do just like a cursory level check but at the same time like people really lack media literacy they in this don't country. do it do they as yeah. i've noticed you no know, yes, absolutely not noticed this and there's also people that will exploit that like so rob's famous we're going to use Rob as our case study here. <laughs> Rob's famous ruse was that he tweeted, I would rather my daughter date a member of MS-13 than a Republican, which if you know Rob, obviously it's a joke because he doesn't have a daughter. And then seconds like, okay, that's just a, clearly a joke. But people like Fox News ran with it because it fires up their base because the, the end goal for them is just to get yeah. you to hate the other side. And that's that's just what they want. They want this type of conflict because, as we mentioned earlier with CNN, it helps it helps with ratings. It helps it then, which leads to better ad revenue, better subscriptions, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's it, it's so easily exploited by even from from blogs, clickbait shit, to all the way up to Fox uh, or on the left on on CNN or MSNBC. So it, it's kind of a mess because we should have that right to just fuck around on the internet. But at the same time, like the media themselves and clickbait sites, even though they won't, shouldn't exploit it. But they do because everyone's everything sucks and we're just going to burn in hell forever. <laughs> I don't know, Jordan. I am still I'm going to end, end optimistic. I think <laughs> no. these are, I honestly I think these are problems we can solve. But but, you know, first we got to just fix the political economy. And make it work for everybody. Yeah. And then we got to fix the internet and the social platforms and, you know, add a little more friction in there between when you share nonsense and when you don't. Those must seem like impossible things, but come on, man. We got, yeah. how much, how many years you got left in you? We got some time, right? Let's figure it out. <laughs> hey, before we, uh, before we sign off, I, I wanted to talk about it because it was newsworthy. We didn't really bring it up. Otherwise, I don't know if it's, it's not, it's kind of tangentially related to what we were talking about, especially talking about Trump's kind of like proto autocratic moves. Uh, lately, where he he signed these executive orders this week about the, we talked about the eviction crisis and apparently that's canceled now via executive order, and he kind of like is, is making these unilateral moves to uh, create this kind of artificial sense of progress while Republicans and Democrats are squabbling over like the scraps they're going to give to to working people to survive this ongoing crisis. What is going on with that? Like, uh, uh, <laughs> is that going to work? Like, is that going to have actually an effect on the, like actual laws? Or is that just purely like a media uh, distraction that, that Trump is creating? Are you talking? Uh, like what, what is happening? You're with that? talking about t the, or last night's executive, the one he gave from Bedminster about uh, unemployment and the the four hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it looks like uh, still reasonably uh, contentious. There's questions about whether the what he's proposed is uh, you know constitutional, um, and I don't know. The big question is really. A, would, would any of it work? And B, is any of it possible? And I see a lot of people looking at it now and saying, you know, these things are supposed to offer relief, but they probably won't. They'll probably get challenged in court. You know, they might be moot if Congress goes ahead and reaches a deal anyway and they bring it to him. Um, there's also this issue where the, you know, the $400 per week was, was the whole plan was kind of relying on um, you know, the federal government paying 75% of its states having to kick in another 25%. And, you know, 
Are the states going to do that? Does he have to go and negotiate that with each fifty uh, of the fifty states for them to take advantage of it? Are any of the states, you know, in a financial position to be able to do any of that? So I don't know. I mean, this seems more to me like just some crazy stuff they cooked up at the golf club. Honestly, I mean, I, I, it's it's nuts. I mean, that we're in this situation, but. This is just the way it's working right now. This is this is a failed government. I mean, we're we're watching a failed government just muddle through what I hope are its last days, but it is absolutely not doing what it should do. <laughs> I mean, this is kind of why I'm pessimistic, though, because the reason it got to this point is because Republicans just never even started to negotiate in good faith. They just never entered negotiations with the understanding that they ever would compromise or work on anything with the Democrats because they knew the end result would be an executive order, give Trump a win because he's up for re-election. And that's the kind of mindset that's just so pervasive in D.C. And I just I can't imagine them ever letting that go. It's just we've I just feel like we've passed the point of no return, that that's not something they were just going to easily let go. And I just don't have enough faith in the electoral process that we could get enough wins, especially in the Senate, um, to dynamically change the the political makeup to get what we need to, to fix this problem, to fix all these systemic problems. Uh, I'm I'm super pessimistic. I'm, I'm, I just I this is I think is like a, an example of, of of why that even though we have 160,000 people dead. Uh, over 5 million cases in the United States, half the country's out of work, a third of the country is not going to be able to pay their rent or mortgage this month. We've got a looming eviction crisis and just many, many more issues along the way and building up. Even still, they're like, yeah, sorry, we just got to get a win for our guy. <laughs> it's just insane. They just don't That's care about us. totally crazy, man. It's right. It's right. They don't care. I, you know, the fact that honestly, I mean, listen, I was telling my neighbor this earlier. If... If I, I don't understand why we're not all camped out in front of the White House right now, frankly, you know, and that's because, by the way, I run Antifa from Brooklyn, and that's right. Um, yeah, and you know, so don't tell anybody. Uh, but <laughs> but don't, I'm going to edit that out. We wouldn't want the yeah. intrepid uh, conservative reporters and listening yeah. to any of this stuff. So I'm going to make sure that's all. But it does. I, I'm with final, you. I mean, yeah, I'm with you, Jordan. This is this is crazy. It's crazy. You know, it's crazy. Well, I mean, that's a good note to close it on because, you know, we're talking about technology. Uh, one theory is that everything that's happening right now is part of some elaborate simulation. And uh, what I want to know is whoever's running the simulation, maybe they can hit the freaking reset button on 2020. Am I right? Listen, <laughs> may, maybe this is this is the, wow. ult, the ultimate game engine, right? It's 3D, yeah. Yeah. high fidelity, rendering in real time, you know. Since you mentioned that earlier, I've been keeping that little quip in my in my Jesus Christ. So we call back in the biz. You laugh, you laugh, but there there are actually physicists that have tried to do research to to essentially determine whether there is a kind of, you know, pixel level uh, roughness in the universe that would give us the, the evidence we need to prove out that theory. So we may yet find that 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 in fact this is this is some kind of you know <laughs> simulation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if whoever's listening, maybe they can mess with my my mental health sliders a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You need you need like some gold coins and some. Uh... Yeah. I got something. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Justin, it was really great to have you on the show, man. Thanks for coming on and, and talking to us all about this I stuff. I enjoyed talking to you guys. Great. 
Be be positive. We're gonna win. Uh, are we? I was positive. Uh, I was positive like a couple months ago, and I do not. I would not recommend it. <laughs> it's, not, <laughs> it's not a mistake I'm gonna make again. Yeah, I, I've said it before on the show. I'm sorry. I'll say it again. I went from all time high in February after Las, or canvassing in Las Vegas to probably the lowest low over the past several months. I'm good on. I'm good on uh, foolishly being optimistic for for the foreseeable future. Yeah, sorry, Justin. You tried. It was a nice effort. You tried to convince us. We appreciate us, the effort. Yeah. But too jaded here. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, it's it's I don't been know, a pretty man. rough last last God. couple months of doing this show. It's that, been, uh, the show. The mood in Las not, Vegas, not I wish I could bottle it and, and spin, yeah. share it because it was just incredible. And just the, the, the wins we got, the people, the energy we saw at the caucuses was just so incredible. And then to come up to a pandemic and just everything crashing and burning on super tuesday was just brutal i was reminded about that this week though because of because of the like the the historic um latinx coalition that bernie put together to rack up those early wins and how inspiring that was especially for like immigration activists and really pushing back on that and then i saw this week that that Biden tapped like Anna Navarro yeah. to like to, to uh, run point on his like uh, Latino outreach. So you can like contact her like Contra pals to like take care of that. That's gonna be that's a little bit of a shitty contrast, I think, between Yo the two boy. different approaches there. Mm, yep. All right. All right. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Justin, where can people find you uh, on Twitter for your, well, for your musings I'm, on tech and everything I'm just good? at Justin Hendricks, J-U-S-T-I-N-H-E-N-D-R-I-X. I'm somewhat insufferable, but probably no worse than the two of you. So, <laughs> No, <laughs> definitely not worse than us. Yeah, I'm extremely insufferable. That's, I wouldn't, if, that's a if bold you wanna, statement. If yeah. you want to feel good, follow Justin. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I am I'm mostly a scold like you gentlemen, but uh I try to live in it with some occasional happiness. Yeah, Justin's a great follow. Yeah, and it was great to have you on the show. Thank you again and we'll uh we'll talk to you soon, man. Take care. Thanks, guys. Hey everyone, thank you for listening to The Insurgents. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can find us on iTunes or Spotify or at Substack, theinsurgents.substack.com. You'll get the latest episodes delivered straight to your inbox as well as our newsletter. On Twitter, we are at InsurgentsPod. Tweet at us, harass Ken in our replies, and then send us your hate mail to theinsurgentspod at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening. <laughs>